the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What actually causes burnout? And later we're joined by C.H. Dyer, the CEO of Bright Hope, to find out how we can bring hope to orphans around the world. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good on this Tuesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. So thrilled that you are with us today. If you've missed any of today's show, we want to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast wherever it is you cast those pods of yours. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And as always, we love connecting with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on all of the apps. Later, we're very excited. We've got Ch Dyer coming into the studio. He's the president of Bright Hope, an organization that is really on the ground in vulnerable places, um, caring for orphans. Yeah. And uh, you're going to love studio. hearing from him. Yeah, he's coming in studio to go and chat Excited. with him for a few minutes. So you'll love hearing from him. But Brian, before we uh, hang out with CH, I was going to tell you about some a podcast I was listening to on burnout. It was actually pastor burnout, but I think it relates to like yeah. all burnout. Do you know that... I mean, he's kind of one of those "quote unquote" celebrities, John Mark Comer. I he's kind of like one of these new, he's kind of up and coming. But it's weird because he's like he's like the rest guy. He's the rhythms guy. Yes. He's the yes. Uh, so he's out in Seattle, I believe. Correct. He is in, out in uh, yeah in Seattle. John Mark or Comer, Oregon, actually. Yeah. Great podcast of sermons. So I think that's why people are. Uh, drawn to mm-hmm. him because yeah, he's a phenomenal communicator, but he's yeah. different. Yeah, the stuff he he's different. writing is different. The stuff he, I mean, I th- if I remember right, listening to him speak once, uh, he basically was on the track of being a big mega church pastor on this and left it he and did. like purposely got yes. into a smaller church. Like, yes. so when he speaks of burnout and priorities, he's lived this. Yeah, he. What I'm, I was been listening to his. Um, he has a new podcast out called "The Art of Teaching" with another teaching mm. pastor named John Tyson. Who, by the way, John Tyson, I haven't listened to his sermons before, but he's got this very deep Australian accent. And so, you know, but he's in New York City, right? He's in New York City, wow. but you know, his sermons are going to be good just because of the accent. <laughs> it's the Alistair Begg phenomenon. Right, exactly. It <laughs> doesn't even matter what you say. But John Mark Homer was talking just about that, that he there was at one point he was at this mega church and he was preaching six services I, a I've Sunday. Heard, yes. Yes. And then he goes, this is what's wild. The enemy got me with busyness. And he was like, some of it was my own arrogance. I didn't want anybody else to share the pulpit mm-hmm, with me. And so mm-hmm. I let that happen. And he said, but then I did exactly what you said. I left. He actually like split the church up into many smaller That's churches. Right. And he said that was the best decision he ever uh, made. Then he wrote his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. That's right. And he goes, but you know what happened? The enemy got me with books. And he goes, I started traveling every single weekend to sell oh, Sabbath, no quote unquote Sabbath, to sell right? To sell hurry. <laughs> and I'm writing about, and he's like, so I went into a, I mean, he called it a dark night of the soul, like just a deep, deep season of like, I, he said there were, I think there were two weeks. I might be confusing him and John Tyson because they were both talking about burnout, but 
like weeks where he was sleeping 16 hours a day and just couldn't get out of bed. Like, I mean, just. Wow. And so it's interesting to hear somebody who is talking about rhythms and rest and spiritual health. Like that's born out of his own struggle for sure. But here's what I thought was so fascinating. He talked about how his own mentor was explaining what burnout actually is and how burnout happens. And he said, burnout is when you are in any job situation that is, there's three categories, almost like a Venn diagram, stress, control, and reward. Mm. So you can be in a job that's high stress and maybe low control, but if the reward is good, meaning you get paid well, yep. or you have freedom in your schedule, or you, you know, you're able, praise. you work from home, so you're able to do it. Or yes, you get a lot of praise. You see benefits. Then you can do that for a while. Yeah. If you have a job that is maybe low stress, low reward, but you have a lot of control over it, like you make your own schedule, you are in charge of everybody, that can give you enough yep. to keep going. And anyway, you see how the Venn diagram works from there. But what he said was pastoring is low control because mm-hmm. people aren't robots. You, you're going to shepherd them as best you can towards Jesus and in Christ likeness, but people ultimately are going to do whatever they want to do. It is high stress, especially for pastors over the past several years. Yep. And the reward is so low. <laughs> and so he was like talking about, they. I mean, they were all, both these pastors were like, pastoring is the most like, um, the job that just is begging for people to get burned out. And, and so they were talking about, so how do you know you get burned out? And I think this is a good conversation for pastors, but really for anybody in Mm -hmm. a work situation where they're starting to wonder if they're getting burned out, like think about those categories. Are you in a high stress, low control, low reward job? That's a recipe for burnout. So you need to be mindful of like your body's needs. Mm -hmm. Are you resting? Are you eating while you exercising? your spiritual rhythms are you pouring into yourself and the reason i found this so fascinating brian is because i i think i told you i spoke somewhere over the weekend it was wonderful like god showed up and they were an incredible group an incredible church i'm so thankful for the opportunity but there was this part of me that desperately wanted it to get canceled like Mm. i was literally i was even talking to friends and i didn't feel good last week so that was part of it right but i was talking to some friends like oh man i kind of hope this event gets canceled and they were like, but you get to go speak somewhere. That's such a blessed, that's such an amazing opportunity you get to. And I was like, mm, I don't really care. Yeah. And I've been thinking through even some upcoming speaking things I have. And I'm just paying attention to my own sort of state right now. Mm. Not preaching at my local church, but like the traveling, the events mm-hmm. and aware of the fact that like, am I getting burnt out? Mm. You know, am I, there is some reward but the stress is high. The control is low. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just kind of mindful of like, it's interesting. You, is it a red flag when you start wanting everything to get canceled? Maybe. And, and I think it is. And I think the reward aspect of ministry has been also skewed. A hundred percent. You got me thinking about this when you said he preached six sermons in uh, six services and yeah. all of that stuff. I don't know if it's like this as much anymore, but I remember when I started our church, that being the goal, not of what we were trying to accomplish, but what people told you totally to the point that I will not name him. But I remember listening to a podcast with a mega church pastor at the time who was killing it. Yeah, it was like, you know, people were talking about him and he like with this arrogance said, I went to and spoke at a church the other day for a buddy and they had one service. And afterwards I said to him. What do you do the rest of your day? Come like, on. What is this? And I remember it Come was said on. with the, this arrogance. And I, being a, somebody who was preaching one service at the time, was like, 
oh, I'm a total failure. Like this guy's basically saying I'm a failure. There's like this. We know we're not going to get rich by yeah. being pastors and stuff, but there's this acclaim that you're like, I must keep running after this and have people affirm me and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot of yellow flags along the way before the red flag of burnout. Yeah, totally. And you might be facing one right now yeah. going, hey, it's, your speaking engagements are a really good thing. They are. And you would say that. They are Absolutely. a good thing. Absolutely. But when your body is telling you, mm-hmm. gosh, I hope this gets, gets canceled to a much smaller degree. I think I told you about an hour ago. Do you ever just cancel meetings because you don't want to have those meetings? I do actually do that sometimes. I just know like, you know what? This isn't I'm not I'm not up for this or it's you not know, a good week for it or something. I've kind of like set in my mind. I won't do that with like people from my church. Yeah, yeah. Or like yep. connected to my church. But sometimes people like ask for meetings for other mm-hmm. things and I I will move them, but sometimes I'll just go, I wish I could move that. I -hmm. wish I could move that. And I think that's, that's a body rhythm thing. Like what's going on in your life? And this isn't a pastor thing at all. This is a a life thing thing because we value, what do we say to people when, when you come up to me and be like, how are you doing? There's a great cultural value. If I can answer you, man, I'm so busy. There is totally a cultural value. There's an affirmation. There's a, you're important. There's a, this. If you came up to me like, hey, Brian, how are you doing? I'm like, I got nothing going on. I'm so bored. I have so much margin in my life. I got nothing going on. Yeah. But you know what? I actually would like to be able to say that. <sighs> I, I would like to be able to say, I'm supporting my family. I'm enjoying my life. And I, I'm, I've got a great balance. But yeah. none of us, if, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, that person's lazy. Right. You would be. What are they doing but with their time? But then when we just run that, that hamster wheel, mm-hmm. I almost said rabbit wheel, not a rabbit not wheel. Not a rabbit wheel. When we run that hamster wheel, we end up burned out and we miss all the signposts along it's the way. It's so true. I heard somebody yesterday say that, and I don't know if this is true for all times and all places, but they said that God's miracles happen in the margins, mm. but you have to have margin in your life that's right. to experience that. Yep. And so I think that's just an interesting word for all of us. Is if you're starting to feel burnout, maybe just pay attention and uh, you want to be someone who can run the long run, run that race. And so do the work you need to do to um, bring some rest and some Sabbath back into your life. Well, coming up, we told you we're joined by C.H. Dyer, president of Bright Hope. And he's going to talk to us about what um, they're doing to help orphans around the world. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. And we are thrilled to be joined in studio by our friend C.H. Dyer. He's the president of CE and CEO of Bright Hope, an organization that is passionate about bringing hope to hopeless places, especially for orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. CH, thanks for being here with us today. Hey, this is awesome. I'm so glad to be in person mm-hmm. and seeing you guys this morning. This, sorry, this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we love it. We love having we love having folks in studio with us. Okay, so CH, I I would like you to give our listeners big picture. Like, what is the story of orphans today in the world? Yeah, so we are in a real desperate time in our world. Um, Twice as many people are facing the threat of starvation than just a year ago. Mm. And we know some of the reasons. We know there's famine in North Africa. We know there's a war uh, that's making food more costly. We know fertilizers. They can't grow their own food. And... um, these it's it's causing havoc among the poorest of the poor mm. and those that are most desperate in that within that situation are orphans mm. uh, kids that have either lost a single parent or uh, 
both parents. Mm. Now, I say single parents because uh, in these places, when uh, a child or a family, if they lose one of the wage earners in the family, they're just not able to yeah. give enough. And so the the parent uh, that's left can be very desperate and mm. sometimes hand over their child to a, a, an orphanage or an institution. And that wrecks a child's future yeah. when they go into these institutions. So it's it's very common, I think, within our churches and and when we're hearing other ministries uh, to hear, you know, orphanages are the solution to the problem. Let's build an orphanage. But that's that's kind of old hat. I gotcha. Uh, and what we need to do today is think of it in a, a new paradigm where we're really trying to help these kids get back to a family member mm-hmm. or um, uh, a relative that that's mm-hmm. nearby. Did you know eight out of every 10 orphans in an orphanage or an institution uh, has a relative within a 10 mile radius? No oh, way. Wow. Yes, yes. I did not know that. And, and when they're wow. in these institutions, when they're in these orphanages, they get wrecked economically and they get wrecked psychologically. Yeah. Why do I say psychologically? Because there's something called attachment disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And young children, uh, I recognize this in my own kids. I have two kids that I've adopted from Russia. Oh, wow. And they both came out of orphanages. And when we first got them, they didn't know where to run when they were hurt. They mm. never had that attachment with a caregiver or somebody. And Aww. so I remember my daughter falling down and and she would just run around the house and not like we're trying to comfort her and she's crying and she's just running. But um, having somebody at that early age where they get that eye contact and the heartbeat against their bodies, uh, it does something to us psychologically uh, as people. And when kids are in institutions, they just don't get that. Yep. Kind of time yeah. and eye and eye contact. Mm. So that's the psychological. The other is economic. Mm. Uh, why is it uh, ruin them economically? Well, here uh, I, I remember a young boy uh, that I met. Well, he's now a man, but mm-hmm. when he was a boy, he was taken away to an orphanage in Uganda. Very poor neighborhood, um, and he went away for. Uh, probably, I think he was orphaned at the age of eight or something like that. So, you know, probably 10 years he was away. And during that time, other relatives had moved into his property, the property that was supposed to be given to him. Okay. And they took it. And they took it as their own. So when he came back to the village after this orphanage experience, uh, they came, They said, you don't belong here anymore. This is our property. And they, they were trying to take his property. Now, right. fortunately, the, the outcome of that was okay because his grandmother came and interceded there. We got uh, the church involved and the police involved, and the family gave up that property, yeah, and yeah. he took it back. Yeah. But, but that doesn't often happen. And a lot of times, these kids... Uh, that are in these places um, don't have that kind of help. Mm. And so they lose all their economic stability once once they grow up. Mm. And so we really need to be rethinking and reimagining how we help orphans and vulnerable children in our world. And as Christians, we need to do it through the church and we need to do it through helping those kids get into families and help mm. that family survive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you laying that out. That's I a lot of stuff too. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, so Bright Hope, how are you guys doing that? How, what, that seems like Great such an, a huge yeah. problem out there. Yeah. That, so what exactly are you guys doing to try to even make a dent in this? Sure. So about 20 years ago, we came down to the fact of finding out that, listen, 
if the amount of money that we were putting into an orphanage type mm-hmm. institution, um, if we just took that and put that into helping families care for themselves, uh, giving them the ability to raise a, a livable wage. So anything over $2, $4, $6 a day. If we can get them in that area, they can care for most of their financial needs for their kids, their educational needs. Um, and so we started working with microloans, micro savings programs, and helping churches, indigenous local churches in cool. those communities to be able to give those and run mm. those grant kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. So we have programs right now that are helping uh, impoverished families, um, you know, raise chickens or or mm. pigs. Wow! Uh, buy better seeds, buy fertilizer, mm. and it's it's something that we teach churches in these communities uh, how to help them, how to help their own and the poor in their community. Mm. Okay, so for someone listening and ch, they're like, yes, I my heart is broken. You have. Uh, efficiently explain <laughs> the plight of orphans and widows and or orphans and I'm a Christian and I want to do something about this how can people get involved with the work of yeah. Great Hope? I think first off, we, we have to be knowledgeable mm. and we have to help our pastors and our missions leaders and our churches and other influencers to understand, you know, what it is about orphan care that that is the best practice today. So, good. Yeah. so there's a resource I want everybody to get. It's it's at the Faith to Action uh, website, faithtoaction.org, and it's called Rethink Orphan Care. Hmm. And I think that is an awesome tool for giving your pastor, giving your church leaders um, the knowledge to understand that. Secondly, we have to we have to come alongside the local church uh, in these communities and really serve them and help them to um, grab hold of the mm-hmm. new strategies mm-hmm. of micro lending. And that's okay. one of the things Bright Hope does is we yeah. go in, we partner with them, and we really um, uh, engage or lift up the local church to be able to to serve the community and the poorest and the most vulnerable in their community. Yeah. Awesome. So, CH, this might be an unfair question with only, you know, a minute or two left. <laughs> yeah, but sure. why do you care so deeply? Yeah, why why question, is this a, at the heartbeat of your passion? Wow. That's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, in 1987, I went to the Philippines and I walked into a slum community and uh, it was overwhelming to my senses. I remember walking into this area and my feet would be compressing um, the, the, the ground. And I realized I was walking on, on cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. And then the wind blew and the stench of, of garbage mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, open latrines just came into my face. And then I just saw poverty and it just was so overwhelming to my senses. But then I got to meet Christians in that community. And we sat in a Bible study and they read the Bible in their own language. It was translated for me. And we got to to look into each other's eyes and just worship the Lord together. Mm. And I, and all those other things went away. Mm. And I just realized, Hey, there are believers here. Yeah. There are people that love the Lord probably greater than I do. Cause right? they're just so reliant on him. Mm. And I just felt like I can help them and they can teach me yeah. how to be so reliant on the yeah. Lord. Oh, CH. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. CH Dyer is the bright hope president and CEO 
I want to mention that resource to you one more time. Go to faithtoaction.org. It's called Rethink Orphan Care. Correct. And where can people find out more about Bright Hope itself? Yeah, just go to brighthope.org, and uh, all our information is there. There's a catalog of gifts that you can give to mm-hmm. the poor oh, cool. uh, and, and orphans, so uh, just look up brighthope.org. Yeah, I love that. Those catalogs of gifts are so great, they especially are. if you've got a family. It's a great way to get kids mm-hmm. involved in that, so be sure to check that out. CH, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, we talked earlier in the show about burnout and what are some signs you're getting burnout and how burnout happens. And I wanted to kind of circle back to that conversation, but talk about, I guess, the antithesis to burnout, which would be Sabbath and mm. rest. And I, Kevin, uh, my husband, just got back from hiking in I. Escalante, which I believe are canyons in Utah. Okay. He gave our whole family like a um like one of those old school slideshows, except no, it was on didn't. our screen, you know, with his phone. But he made us all gather around and, you know, That's click through awesome. each picture. And actually they were very cool pictures. It was hiking like he's never done before. It was it, it was there's no trail. So you're like, I know we want to get there on that side of the canyon, but they had to figure out how to do it. And anyway, kind of a wild, wild experience. But he came back so rested and full of life and energy and excitement. And I was like, okay, babe, one, like, we have to figure out how you can do more trips like this because it's so good for your soul. Okay. Like he came back energized. You could so see So energized. Like that type of thing would make me want to cry every night, but like it is pure Sabbath for him. Okay. And I was like, okay, so this is Sabbath, but talk to me about what makes it Sabbath for you because I'm interested in the fact that like I know my soul needs Sabbath, but it does not look like what it looks like for Kevin, but there has to be some things underneath that. Like what makes that restful for you? And he was able to identify a couple things. He said, one, it's awe and wonder. And that's what Mm. you talk about a lot, Brian. So we can come back to that. But he talked about how for him just being in nature and seeing like the grand design of creation and beauty and Mm. even like the stars above him at night and the wildness of like you're walking through a desert canyon, but all of a sudden there's flowers blooming somewhere and there's a puddle of water that huh. you drink for like he to to him that becomes worship and the wide open space and how big everything is and how small he is that moves him to awe and wonder. But then he said the second thing, and I thought this was really interesting it's play like for Mm -hmm. him that is pure play to be able to camp at night and sleep on the ground and and discover and explore and like you know you got a walking stick and you're going through the river like that kind of stuff for him is just pure play so that kind of got me thinking like okay so if if sabbath really is awe and wonder and play Mm -hmm. and i would say other people would add rest but i think it's that play as rest that's right. right How do we cultivate more Sabbath in our lives? Yeah, it's interesting that you, uh, some of those bring up some questions for me. So I'm going to ask you to speak for your husband because, you know, two shall become one. So you can think like him. Yeah, that's right. I understand family and everything. How in the world does he live in Illinois? So it's a, is this enough for him to go and get like a taste of it? Yeah. Cause a lot of people move to Colorado for these things or they move to the beach for these things. We live in a flat gray. We all love the area, family, whatever, but 
Is that enough for him? So it's funny you say that because last year there was a job opening for the um, head of the Colorado Trail, which Kevin is not qualified for, right? <laughs> the head of the Colorado Trail is awesome. For a minute, I was like, babe, should you apply to this? Like you, And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to apply to this. And I, I think I'm only, I can only speak for Kevin. Two things. One, he feels very called to lead our church in Chicago. And so you yeah. can't, there is a sense yes. of like, if God's called you, you're not going to go. But two, you know how, like, for instance, I happen to love Disney World. Mm -hmm. That is my place of play. If I were to go get a job there mm -hmm. or be there all the time, mm -hmm. it, I think it would lose some of the magic and the feeling of getting away. Yes. So there's some day that I would like to live by the beach. Oh, some day in my future. Sure. Yeah. But I've got friends that live by the, the shore in Jersey. Yeah. And some of them, I Probably remember never talking go, right? well, I talk to a buddy of mine. They lived, they live 10 minutes from the beach, yeah. five minutes from the, whatever. And he's like, we might not go all summer. Yeah. He's like, we tend to go over there more in the fall when the crowds aren't there. But he's like, we, you probably think that we spend all weekend. Like we used to yeah. when we were kids, we would drive down and spend, he's like, we got lives, man. We got sports. So we got yeah. this and we got that. Yeah. And it did make me wonder like, okay, maybe. Does it lose, lose some of the novelty something. if you're like I there wonder. all the time? So yeah. your bigger question, a couple things come to mind. First, uh, I think in a marriage, there has to be a mutuality. Absolutely. Like if you're not a mountain river. Right. Which I'm not. Person, but yes. you're a. Theme park. Sure. Beach person. Sure. Yeah. Then how do we. Play. I, I want to go mostly to your word play. Yeah. How do we play together, yeah. but also give each other the space to play yeah. separately without getting bitter about that? I think that's a really important question that you have to navigate. In yeah, a marriage. because eventually, mm -hmm. if he's monthly going, Aubrey, I got to get out west right. and hike. You're gonna be like, uh, dude, like you need to be here, <laughs> right? Like right. doing this. I know right. he's not no, no, anywhere no. near that no. spot, but that's like a. How do we ask? Because yeah. a lot of times I think we think in marriages or families, we have to play together right, all the time. Well, right. you know, my wife loves me. She doesn't really want to go golfing. Right. Right. Uh, and, and that's okay. This kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's that rhythm. Uh, I, but I do love the idea. We talked about it with John Mark Comer. Like you only, you're only going to embrace this idea of rest well, I think you linked it. I think you're going to you're going to embrace this idea of rest when there's awe and wonder of God in your life I and you're living it. out of your identity. Yeah. Like if Kevin was thinking to himself, uh, if I get out of town, people are going to uh, think that I'm lazy. Mm -hmm. They're going to think that I'm uh, not taking church seriously. Mm -hmm. They're going to. What if somebody else comes and preaches and mm -hmm. kills it? Now, right. what do people think? Right. If you, none of which anyone's thinking. Right. Uh, but if he starts thinking those things, he's never going to go. He's never going to go. Gonna and go that's going to be like control and not freeing and like not even good, not good for him or the church. Right. So right. I think we've got to learn to live out of our identity in Christ. That's good, Brian. And knowing that just as Jesus unwound and just as Jesus yeah. did these things, like we've got to yeah. take our cues from him. And there has to be, it might not be going out West and hiking in Utah. Sure. It might be walking around the Arboretum. A absolutely. It might be. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I like to do? I like to sit on my back deck in a nice comfy chair I have back there and just sit. Yeah. Just look. like look at nature, listen to the sure. sounds. Yeah. Like if you're never finding those spots in your other people, mm -hmm. they like to run 20 miles. Right. Like if you're not, if you're recognizing your life as like, I can't fit those things in, that's a, 
that's a pace rhythm yeah. per, uh, identity problem. I think that's a. I hadn't tied it to an identity problem. I think you are right, and I and connected to that identity problem is maybe a not trusting God problem yes. because I do think some of rest and some where I struggle with rest is. Do I have time? Can I accomplish all the things I need to do? Yep. Will I blah, 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 And some of that does go back to identity. I forget that I'm a daughter deeply loved by my father. That's and right. I think I have to earn and I have to strive and I have to. But then also it's like, do I trust that one, God has given me enough hours in the week? And yep. do I trust too that like God is strong in my weakness? If something gets missed, God is still on the throne and it's going to be okay. So it is, it's like an exercise to Sabbath is an exercise in trust to play is an exercise in trust. And I think also it's a gift. Like God has given us the gift of on wonder and the gift of play and the right. gift of rest. And we sometimes just don't take it as a gift until we desperately need it. And then we're like, Oh, I see why this is so important. Yeah, And someone like you who writes and speaks like it would be very easy to go. If I turn this down, Will I ever get asked again? Totally. If I don't go do that, and there's stuff you have to do. Like, yes. we're not saying be go live right. like monks. And, right. But if I don't go, will anybody ever buy my books? And these kinds of things. And that's what we mean by identity. Like, is that actually what ends up defining you? Yeah, yeah. It's really, really interesting things to think about. Well, coming up next, speaking of work and rest, several companies are laying off major percentages of their corporate workforce. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We've got a fun event that Brian's going to tell you all about. Yeah, it's happening up at Judson University. Uh, Judson University is celebrating their annual prayer breakfast on Friday, May the 12th. The breakfast will be held on Judson's campus from 7.30 a.m. till 9.30 a.m. You can join local business leaders and members of the community to hear from motivational speaker Sichi Demerikova. So for a chance to win a pair of tickets, go visit 1160hope.com, keyword prayer. Again, that is 1160hope.com, keyword prayer. Um, I feel like we had we had a guest from this prayer event last year, and it looks did. amazing. Absolutely, so, yeah, it's absolutely, so so fun that you, uh, they open that up. Breakfast, to the good prayer, good, all of it, good. <laughs> yes, nice. You just channeled Joey there for friends. Well <laughs> yeah. done, Brian. I like that. Um, okay, Brian, we're gonna move from prayer to some crazy things that are happening in the world right now. I don't know if you heard that the First Republic Bank, second major bank in the United States, to close. Um, First Republic Bank closed, but then so I... It's w- weird when banks close. I don't understand weird it. Like, I don't get it. And like, do you just go to get your money one day and it's just gone? Like, how does that work? Apparently, J.P. Morgan is taking over. Gotcha. So I think there's going to be some crossover and things will technically be okay. And yet we know bank closures are never a good thing. Um, Lyft just announced that they're going to lay off 26% of their corporate workforce after already doing a round of layoffs last November. Um, So that's kind of intense. And then I have a really good friend who works at Dropbox, and this just became public. They fired 500 employees last Thursday, and she was part of those conversations and said it's just been devastating at Dropbox. And, you know, the more story we talked about this with, was it Google or who was it recently, Brian, that they had another major, major layoffs and that went. Yep. Uh, Yeah. All of them are right now. It feels like all these organizations. And of course, like we all feel this, I think, with just inflation and 
you know, the ground feels shaky financially right now when you hear these stories. Right. And in certain industries, they're feeling them worse than others. And, you know, we like to end the show by encouraging you spiritually or making you laugh. This isn't a laughter moment. Sure. but. Brian, I wonder if there's a word about God's faithfulness in seasons of shaky ground. Yeah, it feels like one of the undercurrent, at least in the last hour that we've been talking about, is a lot of identity questions. Yeah. Like, what do we, like, am I defined by the title that I hold, mm. by the salary that I pull mm. in, or, or does something greater define me? These types of things, I'm grateful and knock on wood or whatever, you know, my day is going to come. At one of my jobs, I'm yep. sure, where you'd say they say we don't need you anymore. Yep. We're going in a different direction, or let's have a break, right? Uh, and everything feels really shifting, and and yeah. that's where it points us to scripture, right? That Jesus is a firm foundation, and it feels like in times like that, that goes from theoretical to really real. Mm. Like, what is it? <coughs> excuse me. What does it mean that Jesus is our firm foundation? Because again, I've never been laid off. But I would assume that if you do get laid off, it's not only scary, like, where where's my next? Yeah. Am I going to be able to get yeah. another job? Uh, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, I think it's probably really fear-inducing. Mm-hmm. But I would have to it also to think be. it's also really crushing to one's pride. Yeah, absolutely. I've been rejected. Absolutely. Why don't they want me? Yeah. And it could be corporate where, hey, it's just a big number, mm-hmm. but it's still... It still hurts. It there's still a value like, judgment there. Like, absolutely. I'm not worth this. And, I'm and not when worth you, their money. I'm not worth keeping. Right, I'm not worth... Mm-hmm. Right. When you, and when you combine the fear with the uh, that kind of identity crisis, I, I would think it's really disconcerting. Yeah. And you, it's certainly you're questioning like, okay, God, especially... I mean, people who are aren't Christians. I think those are times when you go, okay, God, like, are you there? Do you see me? What are you doing? Part of my parents' story, my my parents grew up in Christian homes, but they both walked away from Jesus. And my dad, we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. My dad was the vice president of a, at the time, it was a company that sold like telephone systems and copy machines to offices, which it's is kind a, of an old school. I'm sure that's working out well now. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad, they had a series of layoffs and my dad was one of the guys who got laid mm. off. And so suddenly my parents were forced with like, what do we do? We've got two daughters. Our life is set in Atlanta we haven't walked with God in a long time. And for them, they saw it as a call back to the church and oh, a call interesting. back to Jesus. And so we moved to Oklahoma where my dad started working someplace else. And that was the first time we ever went to church because mm. uh, they that for them was like an invitation back. Yes. And then, of course, like it's interesting because I do think in the middle of the crisis, it's so difficult to mm-hmm. see. But when you look back retrospectively or retroactively, you see God's hand in all of it. Like my parents would say that they see God's hand in my dad losing his job in the move mm. to Oklahoma in the, you know. And so I, I, I guess I say that to encourage any of you who feel like a door of rejection has been slammed on you that I mean, this is kind of a cheesy saying, but every Every rejection mm-hmm. is a redirection. Oh, and like good. God is at work as the primary agent ordering your life. And somehow this moment can, it can be devastating and you don't have to pretend like it's not, but I do think to trust in the bigger picture that God is at work and hasn't forgotten you and 
will you can use this as an invitation for you to draw closer to him and watch him show up in tremendous ways. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's easier said than done. It is though, easier right? said because, than done. Yeah, uh, we we all go through these moments that that shake us, mm-hmm. and and we do them even as pastors, right? Like, oh, my church is declining. Yeah. How are we going to make it? What's, oh, where's the money going to come? All this kind of stuff. There are things that shake us, and this is where it becomes. It's a little bit of a rubber meets the road moment. Like, does my faith believe that God is still God and he's still good even when things aren't going the way I want them to? Even when I lost my dream job or my church isn't excelling Mm. and people aren't reading your books or whatever else it might be. Do I still believe that God is God? And I don't say that flippantly. Like if you were working at Lyft and you were one of these people lost your job, like that stinks. That stinks. There's nothing good about that, right? Yeah. We always like to quote, God works all things out for the good. Doesn't mean all things are good. Right. And so th- these are, I'm sure, are moments where it's like, okay, do I believe God's still good? Do I believe what I've been saying all these years? Can I lean into him as a firm foundation or... Was that all just kind of talk? And now yeah. that things are going sideways, yeah. I'm, I'm out. I, yeah. that's, uh, I talk- it's interesting to hear your parents. Like It was a time where it was a recentering. It was a recentering. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think so often those crises in our lives can be if we allow them mm-hmm. to be. I talked to a friend last week who was saying that she feels like the Christian life is so much a battle for our mind and our thought life. Mm. Because when we get into seasons like this that are so difficult, the enemy really will get in there and just really convince you God doesn't have a good plan for you. Mm -hmm. God isn't good. God's promises aren't true. God just holds these dangling carrots and hopefully you'll get it, but you might not. And she's like, part of the battle for the Christian is just like, like contending very intentionally with no God is good. God has a plan. God loves me. God is good. God has a plan. God loves me. Mm. And you just have to, she was like, I mean, it sounds so basic, but she was like, most of my life I was putting like, post-it notes up in the mirrors and like just constantly reminding myself of God's promises. Because I know if I get on that train of thought where I'm going in another direction, it can totally derail me. It can derail my ministry, it can derail my soul. And so, so much of like the Christian life she was saying is really contending to remember the goodness of God, even in difficult seasons like that. So it's a reminder, God is faithful. Even when the ground feels shaky and you are not alone when it feels shaky, he is with you. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.